Welcome, this is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and you're tuned into episode 400 of New World Next Week! Woo! And we've got so many special things planned, we're going to give you essentially the fantastic news, fear-free, ad-free, that we give you each and every week in, week out, for 10 plus years. I'm James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com, but for the epidemic, it makes sense. We've got that story, plus saving the banana. But first, on this 400th episode of New World Next Week, Carpet of Gold or Carpet of Bombs, U.S. troops out of Afghanistan in 14 months if Taliban keeps their commitments. We grab this from antiwar.com with a peace deal signed last Saturday, February 29th. The U.S. occupation of Afghanistan has entered the beginning of the end, at least ideally. If all goes well, all American troops will be out of Afghanistan within 14 months the ink on the paper is hardly dry, but U.S. officials already looking to define the terms of withdrawing from the deal, which is always what you want to hear from a, like a good faith partner. They're already looking for a way to escape from it. Saying the pullout is conditional on the Taliban meeting any many commitments along the way. Secretary of State and self-described liar Mike Pompeo is already predicting a rocky and bumpy future in Afghanistan, which seems like it'll give the U.S. plenty of pretext to back out of the peace deal down the line if they decide not to withdraw after all. The plan has always been to cut U.S. troop levels in the lead up to America's next top president, 2020, and it will likely be seen as preferable by the administration to do this as part of a broader deal, even if they don't ultimately intend to finish the pullout. Rumors abound of a secret annex to the peace deal, allowing the U.S. to keep some troops in Afghanistan. And while the Pentagram denies knowledge of this, there has yet to be any conclusive proof that secret annexes do not exist. And we will include the original document, the PDF for you, which is the catchy title, Agreement for Bringing Peace to Afghanistan Between the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan, which is not recognized by the United States as a state and is known as the Taliban and the United States of America. We'll include the links to that. And another link, James, I think essentially an update, another one to antiwar.com, and we don't mind giving some traffic to antiwar.com. Afghan government rejects peace deals call to release Taliban prisoners. The first obstacle only took, what, 36 hours to kick in since the U.S.-Taliban peace deal was signed. Saturday emerged the next day, so not even 72 hours, when the Afghan government started publicly objecting to the deal's call to release Taliban prisoners. The peace deal calls for a speedy release of prisoners, but Afghan President Ashraf Ghani says that the U.S. has no authority to make such a promise and that his government will ultimately decide the fate of the Taliban James, this is like a, a tried and true tradition. What have we been doing this for nearly 19 years? That's right. 19 years. And what do we have to show for it besides, well, trillions of dollars down the drain? And oh, yeah, by the way, thousands of American lives and however many tens of thousands of Afghani lives. But do they really count? No, of course not. Uh, yeah, absolutely disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. And I've talked about this at length in a lot of my work on the Afghanistan war over the years, please do type in Afghanistan into the corporate report search bar because I've talked about this a lot from a lot of different perspectives. And I would love for this to be the end, but I do not believe that this is going to be the end. I would not be counting any chickens before they hatch here because let me just lay odds that exactly as that follow-up story that you read there notes, between now and this imagined troop drawdown 14 months from now, or whenever they say it's going to occur, there's a lot of space for the neocons that infest every layer 
of the Trump administration to throw all manner of spanners into the works and make sure that this process does not go forward, whether through means overt or covert. And there's all sorts of false flag shenanigans that can be pulled to derail this process at any time, assuming it's even going off the ground at all. It's, uh, the U.S. is now trying to dictate what Taliban prisoners will be released to the Afghan government. I mean, of course, it's been a puppet, puppet government for 19 years, but maybe not that much of a puppet government. And this is where the rubber meets the road on that and many other issues. Uh, there's still a long way to go, so I wouldn't be uh, getting ahead of this story. Also, on a side note, I would like to note that you did mention that carpet of gold, carpet of bombs quote, which, I, which I've used many times. Uh, for example, back in uh, episode 345 on the, the, the secret of the lie that started the Afghan war. In that, for example, I, I did use that quote, um, which, as people might remember, it was uh, in the summer of 2001, supposedly, uh, the uh, Taliban negotiators were told this um, by... American diplomats. Well, I did receive a note, and I want to put this on record. I did receive a note from Peter Dale Scott after I posted that uh, podcast episode where he was recommending this to his uh, Facebook crowd and saying it was a great video. But he did say this, I strongly recommend you watch and share this video despite its inclusion of one false claim, namely that an international meeting in July 2001 at an international meeting in July 2001, representatives of Pakistan and the Taliban were threatened with the words, either you accept our offer of a carpet of gold, or we bury you under a carpet of bombs. Whether or not something like this was said, there is only one source. It should not have been construed as an authoritative threat. The Americans present were retired diplomats from the Clinton era, rather than spokesmen for Bush, who were interested in avoiding war. So that quotation, uh, mea culpa, it's likely spurious. At any rate, it certainly isn't uh, in the context of of the the type of threat that it's portrayed as. So, I, I retract having used that in the past. But more to the point, and as um, as uh, Peter Dale Scott notes in his post up on Facebook, he did say that it was important for noting NSPD nine, which was presented uh, for uh, to the president on September fourth, two thousand one. The Afghan invasion plan was presented and ready on the president's desk a week before 9-11. Yes, do you think there were plans in the works for an invasion of Afghanistan regardless of that? And oh, here's the hand-delivered, signed, sealed, with a bow on top of it reason for going in. So uh, the Afghanistan war has been a lie from the very beginning. Every single step of the way, it has been a lie paved with blood. Blood of... American soldiers, and oh yeah, the lives of innocent civilians. Absolutely disgusting. It has been a massacre, and sadly, I don't believe that this is the end of the story. Let's let's hope that it's the end of the story, but don't believe in it quite yet. Uh, unfortunately, there's a long way to go for this, and let's put it in this perspective. This is part of the 2020 selection circus cycle, and no doubt there will be much play made of this announcement over the next few months. Hey, I pulled us out of Afghanistan, and what do you bet the day after the election selection goes forward? Oh, as it turns out, the whole deal fell apart. I mean, let's not count these chickens before they hatch. So there I, there I go again, guilty of spreading patriot lore. But I think then you can find that you scratch a little bit behind and you'll find the much bigger piece of completely provable fact that shows that the war plans were there on the desk. That to me, actually, that says more than any blah, blah, blah in the summer really does. 
And, of course, remember, we know the real cause of the Afghanistan war. So women can drive themselves to Hollywood movies in Afghanistan, right? Some, or is that Saudi Arabia? Sorry, I'm mixing up my grand chessboard moves. And right about the 2020 campaign. They'll sort of use this enough, and this will probably pop in mainstream corporate media just enough so that they can yap yap about it for the next eight months of this ridiculous selection cycle. And then probably, what, sometime around Thanksgiving, it'll be, oh, there's new attacks, and we're just going to have to pull back on the drawdown or whatever word salad they come up with. James will shift gears very much here for the second segment here on New World Next Week with the question, can non-GM breeding and agroecology Save the banana. This coming from GMWatch.org. After decades of hype claiming only GM genetically modified organisms can save banana from extinction due to disease, non-GM breeding and agroecology have succeeded where GM has failed. After decades of pro-GMO hype telling us that only GM will save the banana from something called the Black Sigataka disease, non-GMO breeding has produced a variety that is resistant to that very fungus. The new variety of banana can be produced using organic and agroecological production methods and is set to become commercially available in France, this according to an article in Food Navigator. The banana called Point d'Or was developed by the banana industry in Guadalupe and Martinique in collaboration with research organizations. It's the product of an alliance launched by the French Agricultural Research Center for International Development, the acronym becomes CIRAD, C-I-R-A-D. They said that attempts to develop new banana varieties by different international research teams had not succeeded. While they didn't specify if these were GM or non-GM, efforts have been going on since at least two, 2001, that important year, to engineer a GM disease-resistant banana. And we must assume, as GM Watch writes, that these attempts were unsuccessful as this particular line of GMO hype has been quiet for quite some time. This new banana, made organically with selective breeding, old school style, will be available starting in March at the Carrefour Bio stores in France. And I believe bio, biologique generally in France and Canada usually means organics, James, because of course we have to get some products down here that are, of course, labeled to be from Canada because that's what the mess the uh, US food situation is in. I'm glad you offered this one up. I had not caught this story, James. Yeah, and I I think this is a perfect candidate for Propaganda Watch because I don't know about you, but I have been hearing this story about the banana is going to go extinct for a couple of decades now. And it is interesting to see this deconstructed. I hope people will follow the link back uh, through this GM Watch article to a previous GM Watch article on only GM can save the banana, where they go through this story and where it comes from. And essentially from this one scientist who got quoted over and over and over for years and years in the MSM called Dr. Emile Frisson. And uh, I will let you read through that because it is actually an important piece of this puzzle. Perhaps I'll cover it in more detail on Propaganda Watch in the future. But long story short, it was a bunch of bunk. And it's all centered around the fact that the bananas that you get in your supermarket are most likely of the Cavendish variety. But in fact, they only account for 10% of the bananas uh, varieties that are cultivated and consumed around the world. It's just the ones that we tend to consume in our uh, comfortable supermarket settings. Um, so the answer, of course, is actually, well, genetic diversity and growing different crops rather than monocrops. But 
Uh, no, no, no. We need to genetically engineer these so that they're resistance to these these types of diseases and what have you. No, 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 no. We don't need to do that. The the banana extinction can be called off. Yet another false emergency. It's just the same tired old tactic of crying crisis so that you can bring in a solution that you were looking for in the first place. And oh yeah, when you look into Dr. Emile Frisson and his uh, connections, well, guess how far you have to go before you find biotech companies funding. Uh, again, please read through that article to uh, to get to that punchline. But yeah, there it is. Uh, just another false crisis. Uh, don't worry, guys. The banana is not going extinct. Maybe the Cavendish, uh, because it is monocultivated in so many places and sold as the only possible banana that can be eaten uh, at supermarkets, maybe that could face some sort of de- devastating blight. But uh, But no, other varieties will be there. And the answer is just good standard old time-honored agroecology. Uh, there's not, no fancy genetic modification monstrosity never before seen in human history needed in order to preserve uh, something like the banana. But what happens when they do go too far down the road of genetically modified monstrosities? James, I've got a couple related to this one before we move to our third and final segment. And it's they're both essentially not unmitigated good news. BASF once out of $250 million Decamba punitive award, essentially saying, oh, that's Bear Santos' problem. We shouldn't have to pay anything of that. So, of course, when the eugenics-obsessed powers that shouldn't be start to fight against each other, maybe the interesting things can shake out. Another bit of not unmitigated good news. Haven't heard anything about this. Again, as there's too many other things they are so important to worry about. Federal court has ordered Johnson & Johnson to pay almost $2.6 million in damages to three women for the implants of faulty pelvic mesh. Pretty, you know, tragically sad stories that, again, we followed here on New World Next Week. And I think we're one of the few places that kind of, aside from, you know, the focused GM watch, you know, health-focused kind of outlets, I'm glad we've been able to cover, I think, essentially this food world order, if you will, so much. And James, what are Johnson & Johnson up to right now? They are, of course, rushing headlong into the fray to help with the new coronavirus, which brings us to our third and final story. I think a really interesting one, James. In coronavirus fight, China gives citizens a color code with red flags. This coming from the old gray lady, and I do have the links to archive.is. And a huge thanks to my buddy Liam in Portland for getting me this story. As China encourages people to return to work despite the coronavirus outbreak, it's begun a bold mass experiment in using data to regulate citizens' lives by requiring them to use software on their smartphones that dictates whether they should be quarantined or allowed into subways, malls, and other public places. Is this starting to sound familiar? A New York Times analysis of the software's code found that the system does more than decide in real time whether someone poses a contagion risk. It also appears to share that information with the police, setting a new template for new forms of automated social control that could persist long after the epidemic subsides. Always tends to last. It's just the emergency measures, but... They seem to never go away. People in China sign up through popular wallet app Alipay and are assigned a color code, green, yellow, red, if that sounds familiar, that indicates their health status. It's already being used in 200 cities and is being rolled out nationwide. Neither the company nor Chinese officials have explained in detail how the system classifies people while it further erodes that thin, thin, thin line separating China's tech titans 
from the commie party government. The software does not make clear to users its connections to the police, but according to China's state-run Xinhua news agency and an official police social media account, law enforcement authorities were a crucial partner in developing this whole thing. In the United States, as the New York Times points out, this would be akin to the Centers for Disease Creation and Propaganda using apps from the fangsters to track coronavirus, then quietly sharing user information with the cops, because they're not doing that at all about other things. With fear of the virus still acute, many in China take comfort in high-tech precautions. This is now we're down at the bottom of the article. Really interesting kind of human interest angle to it. Even if at times they're impractical and dysfunctional. Du Wang 26 said her code was red for a day before it inexplicably changed to green, calling a support hotline yielded no answers. Yet still, she approves of the system. If we had to use it indefinitely, that would be crazy. Just way too big a pain. But for the epidemic, it makes sense. She shrugged off the privacy concerns with the closing quote, Alipay already has all of our data, so what are we afraid of? Seriously. So, James, after you take all of that in, might be a good time to review that post-9-11 document, the Model State Emergency Health Powers Act, that pretty much grants the powers that shouldn't be, of course, granting themselves these powers, that they can do everything and more that China is already rolling out. And we will, of course, include a link to your classic medical martial law episodes. James? Yeah, oh, this stupid... I can't believe... I can't, I'm going to revolt again. Oh, wait, you're putting my name in this article? I love this system. I will do anything that the government wants me to do. Hail she. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm. I honestly. I feel. I feel bad for our Chinese brothers and sisters who are in locked into that system, whether they like it or not. And guess what? Most of them probably don't like it, but they sure aren't. They sure as hell aren't going to go on record with their real name saying that they don't like it. <sighs> anyway. Uh. Well. That's one hell of a story, but not to toot my own horn, my, my my readers will already know about it because, of course, I did share that story in my recent article on coronavirus, The Cures Will Be Worse Than the Disease. I also shared the Model State Emergency Health Powers Act. I also shared my medical martial law uh, article uh, podcast. I also shared the 425 billion, according to the bots at Zero Hedge, 425 million in reality dollar World Bank uh, issued bond that uh, will default in the event of a declared global pandemic uh, before June, I believe it is. So that's one reason why they are not declaring it a global pandemic at this point, uh, because some important and rich investors stand to lose hundreds of millions of dollars on such a deal. Um, I included all of this uh, in my article. So if you haven't read it, why not? The article is, is available for free reading. I always have the free version of my editorial available there. If you can support my website for $1 a month, a couple of bananas a month, I would very much appreciate that. Um, it really does make a difference. But if you can't, if you literally cannot afford $1 a month, my sincere condolences to you. But there is a free link to go and read the article and do read it. You will be ahead of the curve. It's interesting. I even see people in my own comment section at CorbettReport.com, including tips and links and things to things that I actually... I, I said that in the article. <laughs> Did you read the article you're commenting on? <laughs> but whatever, <laughs> as long as the information is getting out there. And this is 
extremely important information, and I'm doing my level best to collect the best information on this subject, as I hope people out there can appreciate. It is a moving ball, but uh, hopefully if you read the Corbett, uh, Corbett Report or if you follow Media Monarchy, you will be ahead of the curve. Uh, that's one thing you can look back at 400 episodes now of New World Next Week. You will be ahead of the curve if you watch this, uh, this deprogram. You will know what is coming, because we do have our eyes on the ball, we do this for a living, and uh, James, 400 episodes is not nothing. So thank you so much for bringing this uh, to the people. My pleasure, dude. I appreciate it so much. Let me ask you one last thing. Since since that was essentially a greatest hits uh, segment three there of things that we've both already also, of course, recently covered, I talked about those on my morning monarchy. I think sometimes I'll know doing the morning show. It's like, oh, this should probably go to prime time on New World next week and, and talk about that. But there showing that I hadn't read the subscriber newsletter. I did play, I believe, was it a propaganda watch video you made out of the cure will be worse than the coronavirus? Yeah, yeah. Uh, infection numbers, yeah. Lies, damned lies, and coronavirus infection numbers. That's it. I did play that on my stream. Um, let me ask you one other thing about, I think maybe you said somewhere, something about writing more specifically about the upcoming possible Olympics in Japan. Have you written about that yet? I have not yet. Uh, I'm sure that'll be a topic of discussion. It's going to be a huge story here in Japan. And now they're talking about maybe postponing the Olympics because the only the only official rule is that it must be held in the calendar year of 2020. You didn't say we can't have the Summer Olympics in December. <laughs> so they're now holding out that hope. But uh, there is a real possibility the Olympics will be canceled over this hype, whether real or imagined. Well, that could make for some more wildly entertaining Olympics. Suddenly, people used to the summer have to do it in the winter. That would be terrible. Uh, I'm actually bringing this up. as I, I find, as an American raised on comic books, who does a thing called Media Monarchy, the Akira synchronicities, and I was running my mouth to you about this when we were even over there visiting, the Akira synchronicities to Japan, the Olympics, some wild virus outbreak are just... Too much, dude. Too much. So I, I mentioned that, that maybe that'll make it into a, a piece that you do write on this. Having said all of that, again, a huge thanks to you for doing this for 400 episodes, dude. I appreciate you. So, as I always like to shill at the end of these episodes, I stream, I like, I'm like a radio station that's on eight hours a day, Monday through Friday, nine to five. I stream news, music, memes, and more. And I hope people come check it out, James. Awesome stuff. Let's keep doing it another 400 times. All right. Talk to you next week. All right, buddy. Take care.